Okay, we've got an amazing all news program for you today. And I take some very emotional, deep questions at the end of the podcast, talking about motivation and feeling like you're not part of the inside crew and my journey. Just great, great questions I took live from the YouTube and the live streaming audience. But on today's podcast, Facebook is coming out with smart glasses, copying Snapchat once again. The Board Ape auction closed at 24 million, and Amazon is including educational benefits to their part time workers to get them their bachelor's degree. Great job, Jeff Bezos, there. Terrible job suing Elon and trying to slop progress through lawsuits. Uh, and I want to talk about our foil wrapped homes, that blanket idea I've had for a couple of years. Well, people are doing it, and an actual home was saved in the Caldorf wildfires by somebody putting, I kid you not, fire resistant blankets on top or you know some kind of uh material on top of a home and i think there's a great startup idea in there i want to flesh out with you finally evergrande is china's second largest REIT by revenue and their stock is falling and their credit is going down stick with us it's an amazing episode this week in startups is brought to you by our crowd helps you invest early in pre-ipo companies alongside professional vcs if you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist. Pipe. SaaS companies, this is for you. Pipe helps you unlock your reoccurring revenue as upfront capital. Sign up in minutes and start trading on Pipe free for 12 months at pipe.com slash twist. And Novo Free Business Banking. If your bank charges outrageous fees, you need a bank account that's built for small business. Get your free business banking account in just 10 minutes at banknovo.com slash twist. All right, everybody, I just want to tell you about a little something we're doing here or testing at This Week in Startups. If you go to our Twitter page, twitter.com slash TWI Startups, you will see, and we can zoom in on this perhaps, right under our bio and how many followers we have. And oh, wow, look, we have 43,000 followers on the account. You're going to see a little box that says newsletter. It says the This Week in Startups newsletter, one subscriber. <laughs> we just put it up. Go ahead and click subscribe on that and show us that, uh, show us some love, subscribe, and uh, we'll start sending little updates out. That's part of a product called Review that the fine folks at Twitter bought as part of their uh, process of making Twitter into a fuller product. It's like a Substack competitor. Review actually, I think, existed before Substack. I think Substack copied Review. Now I also have it on. Uh, twitter.com slash jason i'm thinking about maybe writing a little bit more and uh, sharing some stuff with you so uh just a little thing you can check out there additionally uh another uh little mini promotion here but not really promotion as much as uh, a gift for everybody there uh, if you go to inside.com if you don't know i am the ceo of inside.com it is a data service for executives go to inside.com slash events and you will see some upcoming events we have um i basically decided that for inside and I wonder what you all think about this on the podcast and those of you watching live, uh, what you think of my idea for a business and if you would pay $25 a month for this, we're we have I think, eight or nine analysts now at inside, as well as maybe 10 freelancers. And what I'm asking them to do is I took away half their workload. So they were writing a newsletter in the morning, a newsletter in the afternoon, I said, from now on, everybody does half as much work. And they're like, awesome, half as much work, we can work a half day and then go home and make the same salary. It's like not quite. Um, I want you to write your newsletter in the morning. And in the afternoon, I want you to do events. An event can be a tier one, tier two, or tier three event. A tier three event is you interviewing somebody one-on-one. -on -one. 
Uh, a tier two event is, you know, maybe a two to three hour event with two, three, four speakers. And a tier one event would be like launch festival, the scale conference I do, which we haven't done over COVID. Uh, and uh, things like meet our fund, which was our two day event where you got to get pitched as a founder by 50 venture capitalists. Well, uh, my idea here is to have the writers write in the afternoon and then work on events that you can attend. And then we're going to make it 25 bucks a month to be in our Slack channel with the analysts and to come to all the events. But for now, for the next couple of months, I'm just making all the events for free. The next event is one I thought would be really interesting because I'm looking at this as an investment space. It's called the business of psychedelics. Uh, and one of our analysts, Anthony, who's really good, um, young guy who we found and who's been doing a great job for us, uh, was passionate about this topic. So on Wednesday, September 15th, at 11am Pacific time, you can come to this event. It's a virtual event. And my concept is I'll make it free. Uh, we'll give you a free subscription to inside for a couple of months. And then if you like it, and you you don't have to put your credit card in or anything like that. But you know, we'll probably try to upsell you on 25 bucks a month to come to unlimited uh, events with us. So here is the page. And then you see the first one there, the business of psychedelics, that's inside.com slash events, go ahead and click the first business of psychedelics event. And uh, it's just like you put your first name and your email in and you've saved your seat. We have somebody from Neo Kuma, Third Wave, Leafy Tunnel, uh, Tablo Rasa Ventures. So we have the people who are investing in this stuff and psychedelics are going to become I believe, um, a new wave of uh, how we deal with mental illness, PTSD, it's fairly obvious MDMA, psilocybin, and some of these um, naturally occurring uh, or substances that we've discovered could actually have some positive effects in people in the right context. So uh, I would like to also cover some psychedelics here on the program. So a note, if you have any interesting psychedelic uh, CEOs who are making a business out of this, I would like to meet them just DM the TWI startups account on Twitter, great way to talk to our producers, or uh, I do the live stream here at 10am uh, every day of the week, you know, most weeks, sometimes I, I'm running a little bit behind to get on at 1015 like today. And um, you can also talk to us at uh, thisweekinstartups.com slash slack, we have a slack channel where you can talk to the producers, but it's uh, just for talking about the show and startups it's not for promotion so if you join us there this week in startups.com okay let's get on to the news a foil wrapped home has survived the caldor fire uh i have been talking about this idea for a couple of years i said to myself hmm my brother's a firefighter i know that they wear outfits that protect them when they go into fires and then i said what if that outfit they wear that's fire resistant you've seen them in that um what if they took that fire resistant outfit and just wrapped it around a house what would happen and I thought to myself, well, those outfits are very expensive, right? I think they cost hundreds of dollars. Let's just say they cost $1,000 for a human. Well, a house is a lot bigger than a human, it would be like 100 times bigger, right? Well, 100 times $1,000 is $100,000. Well, if the house cost a million, $100,000 blanket maybe doesn't make sense. But if the house costs 5 million, which is what a lot of these houses cost in, you know, these elite communities in California in Malibu and, uh, you know, and in Lake Tahoe, you know, maybe a $100,000 blanket on the top of your house is just what the doctor ordered. And it's really hard to get insurance as we talked about on the all in podcast for some of these fire zones now. And so I looked online and I found a professor Takahashi, I heard him talking about this, he had the same idea, but I don't think he ever executed on it. So he's a case Western Reserve Engineer Professor uh, Fumi Miyaki uh, Takahashi. Um, he's been working on this problem for the last decade, I had actually found a video on YouTube, maybe we can find that uh, ourselves. 
uh, here. Uh, the experiments he's done reveal that two layer blankets with an aluminum surface can block up to 92% of the convective heat and 96% of the radiation from a fire. Um, and he just told this to the San Francisco Chronicle who has recently come to the party. Here's his quote, it is effective for protecting structures for a short period while the wildfire front passes five to 10 minutes, but longer protection would be needed to prevent structure to structure ignition, which I think is the, the key issue in these wildfires. If a home goes up, man, that is just like, you know, a, a giant uh, amount of heat that will then jump from house to house to house. So in fact, if you wrap these, it would act as a blocker maybe in a, in a series of houses in a row. So um, according to the article in the Chronicle, the blankets help in three ways. One, it, it preventing fire brands or large burning embers from entering the building through the gutters, eaves, vents, broken windows and roofs. Okay, that makes sense, right? These big embers, which I guess are called fire brands. I never heard that term. Um, number two, by keeping homes from making direct contact with flames. Duh, that's a great thing to not happen. And three, by reflecting thermal radiation from large fires burning nearby over a sustained period, possibly protecting the house from bursting into flames from intense heat, which is like, you know, something I assumed all this heat around it at some point will just make it go up. Um, and so somebody actually wrapped their houses, there is a company called fires at and I want to meet this company in San Diego. So if somebody can ask them to reach out to Jcal, they just make this blanket that they tell people to wrap around the house. I think there's better ways to do this, like maybe drop it from a helicopter, or have it rolled up on the roof of the house. And then there's a remote control you can press and it just, you know, flares out. I know that most houses are unique. What if there was a way for it to just explode like a airbag and just drape over there's a, there's a couple different concepts here. These are a combination of aluminum on the outside with fiberglass threads on the inside and it's laminated together. Um, one reusable roll of fires that's material can cover 1500 square feet about 140 square meters and cost close to $900. Uh, according to Reuters. So um, this needs some um, kind of iteration as a product. But when you look at that house, uh, in this YouTube video here, uh, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, my God, what a common sense solution. And I am fascinated with materials. So I think I want to start investing in companies with materials and I want to incubate companies, because there's so many companies getting so big. And I've got a bunch of cash sitting over here from my funds and from my syndicate. And uh, the the syndicate.com is my angel investing club with 9000 accredited investors in it. I think they would have an appetite to give $500,000 to a group of qualified people who wanted to pursue some material science, you know, basic testing of this. And you know, what would that look like? I guess building a prototype, putting it over a house, and then seeing if the house goes on fire or not, and then raising money based on that. So if there's somebody out there who wants to create a company, maybe using fires ads, uh, aluminum, and then, you know, building the system around it and the software around it, uh, or the business model around it, I, I'm up for it. Ping me, you all know, I'm uh, Jason on Twitter. Um, but I'm not looking for somebody who's just passionate about the idea. I would like somebody with a material science background, somebody who's got credibility. Um, obviously, a firefighter uh, is great. But I really think this is about material science. So I, I want to get closer to scientists who want to start companies. I'm super excited about this concept, because I think there's going to be a ton of business opportunities around what's happening with climate change. And those business opportunities, I think are a really um, important thing for entrepreneurs to go after because we are going to have to fight climate change or extreme weather is probably the better term um, to make it less charged uh, for people. Extreme weather is real. We can debate climate change and I'm really exhausted from that debate, but we cannot 
debate extreme weather. So let's just talk about making products that help in extreme weather conditions. What are the extreme weather conditions? We know these extreme heat, extreme dryness, uh, fires, uh, flooding, etc. If anybody has any other ideas, let's talk about it as a group because I I'm looking to invest in this. So that's our first little story there. And uh, it's a call for me to any entrepreneurs out there who want to pursue this. And if you have any other ideas, let me know. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential that brings them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, quantum computing, and more. In state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, and anywhere in between, our crowd is identifying innovators. So you can invest when growth potential is greatest, which is early. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies, and many of their members have benefited from the 46 IPOs or exits of their investments. Now you can truly diversify your portfolio by investing early in innovative private market companies at our crowd. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at rcrowd.com slash twist. Once again, rcrowd.com slash twist. O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash twist. Notion has acquired automate.io. It's a Zapier competitor. According to TechCrunch, Notion, which is a product I love, and uh, they actually advertise on this podcast, has acquired this company, automate.io. The TechCrunch article states Automate IO builds connectivity and it with and integrations with over 200 services as the workplace productivity startup looks to accelerate its product expansion to become more compelling, yada, yada. Uh, a Notion user admin, this is the uh, with Automate, a Notion user admin can connect the collaborative platform to Slack, Gmail, MailChimp, Salesforce, Google Workspace, Office, yada, yada, yada. And uh, I think Zapier and If This and That are the two leaders in this space. Zapier seems by far to be the best no code solution. And there is a new job position in the world, uh, business automation uh, <laughs> executive, I just made that title up, but there seems to be somebody in every organization I'm working with who knows how to master Zapier, uh, which makes you much happier. That's what I used to say in the ad reads, they, they advertised like three or four years ago. Um, Zapier is like some person in your organization masters using it and everything in your organization that is repetitive becomes automated. And I really think like I have every organization is using notion to be a right first community a right first culture is what I would say. So I tell everybody now, uh, whether it's inside at launch or at my house, like make a notion page, right? So literally, we're having problems with our pool. I made a notion page, I put all the information about the pool hardware and like the pump and what's not working, and who the vendors are and I link out to stuff. And then you have this like wiki for your house, you have a wiki for work. And I tell everybody, listen, if we're going to have a meeting, put the agenda and all the notes in a notion page, so that we can work on this. So congratulations to notion on this acquisition, it makes uh, a lot of sense. And notion just made their API accessible earlier this summer. And uh, my uh, associate press here at this week in startups and launch was in the beta and he's got a couple of things done for us there. So it's pretty cool. Congratulations to them. I think it's a savvy acquisition. Okay. Uh, next story, Facebook is coming out with smart glasses. Facebook is collaborating with Ray-Ban, the sunglasses I like to wear, my aviators. Uh, parasols and Ray-Bans are the two that look good on my face, I think, as my wife tells me. Um, so uh, they are going to create a pair of smart glasses. You may have seen Zuck the last uh, couple of days showing himself playing ping pong, uh, going 
guess wakeboarding maybe, uh, and then fencing with his daughter, very cute. So you see Zuck playing ping pong here, and it's a little bit motion sicknessy, but it, it seems to have some stability in it, I guess, because it's not that bad. And I get motion sickness. I'm watching this video along with you. Um, if you're not watching the video and you're listening to the podcast, you can always go to youtube.com slash this weekend to watch the video. And so, you know, this will allow for a lot of AR. So uh, some other people were, were talking about these uh, online as well. But this is once again, Zuckerberg obsessed with uh, the product manager for Facebook, Evan Spiegel, you, you may know Evan Spiegel as being the CEO and founder of Snapchat. On the side, he is Zuck's uh, product manager. <laughs> And he works in his lab for new things. No, seriously, Zuck, do you literally have to steal every single thing Evan Spiegel does? It is so sad for you. Snapchat had their spectacles. I kid you not, back in 2016. Uh, and if you start thinking about all the things that Zuckerberg has ripped off competitors, it is unbelievable that he has absolutely no original ideas of his own. Uh, it's absolutely gross. <laughs> and if you just think about Evan Spiegel and his innovations, Evan came up with stories, ephemeral messaging and filters, uh, or what are they lenses, right? And Zuckerberg copied all those. And now Zuckerberg's copying the glasses too. It's just really sad. I mean, let me ask the question here for the people who are watching live. Is there anything that you can remember that Zuckerberg did that was original that wasn't just a blatant ripoff of somebody else? I, you know, ephemeral messaging he stole, he just copies everything. And um, it's just kind of sad as an entrepreneur doesn't mean you're not going to win. So I think that's an important lesson for people who listen to this week in startups. Immature poets uh, copy mature poets steal. So that's a famous quote that a lot of people have stolen. I get it. But it's just kind of gross and unseemly. And it would just be better if he put some kind of original spin on something. The like button, it, you people think that the like button was his innovation. It was not. Kevin Rose uh, came up with the dig button long before, long before Zuckerberg and uh, Zuckerberg wanted to buy dig at some point, And Zuckerberg stole it from Kevin Rose, Kevin Rose, arguably, uh, and he admits this uh, was inspired by uh, two sites that came before dig Fark And um, oh, Slashdown, of course, and they really were the ones who had like upvoting and moving stuff up based on people's interest in it. So that's an example of people iterating on each other and building something up. By the way, side note, I heard Kevin Rose wanted to do something interesting with dig. And I know uh, buy sell ads and my guy Todd over there owns dig.com. He bought a couple of like, brands that failed basically dig pando a couple of other ones. And then he tried to breathe some new life into them, which is cool. Um, it's just Todd, I would do a partnership with Kevin Rose, and just keep 50% of dig or 25% of dig and let him earn it back. What amazing thing you would do for web history if Kevin Rose could have dig back. It's just, it's a no brainer. I mean, you're so busy, Todd, I'd buy sell ads. Like, and think if Kevin Rose with his following started dig again, how many people would go crazy for that? Okay, next story Sotheby's board ape auction closed today at $24 million. That is absolutely bonkers. Uh, and I think historic, not only for the club, but I think NFTs in general. Uh, the only NFT I think that sold for more than this was obviously met coven bought for 69 million uh, people had uh, put together an NFT back in the day for 69 every days was the name of that one. So this is more than $230,000 per ape. Uh, we uh, reached out to Yuga Labs, I guess we're going to try to get them on here. You know, if you own a board ape, or you own these NFTs, and they're going crazy like this, just 
if it's more than 50% of your net worth, or if it's God forbid, 80 or 90% of your net worth, and you hit one of these giant home runs, please just take some idiot insurance on it, like sell 25% of it and put a down payment on an apartment or something for yourself, uh, or bought put something into your 401k, or your Roth IRA. So you have something for later in life, because I don't think these NFTs are going to be worth what they're worth now in all likelihood, because I think there's going to be many other ones. And I'm just not sure that this is uh, commensurate with reality. Hey, everybody, Harry Hurst. Yes, the co CEO and co founder of pipe.com is with us. And he's going to explain to you how pipe.com works and what a great innovation it is for startups. Many of my startups are using it. Harry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. So tell us uh, what is pipe and, uh, and for people who don't know it's pipe.com. Great domain. Pipe's a trading platform, and we allow companies to turn their recurring revenue streams into upfront capital. And they do that by trading those recurring revenue streams with institutional investors that are on the other side of our marketplace. Uh, and they're looking to purchase the annual value of those subscription revenues. So companies can reinvest that capital into growth or whatever initiative they'd like without having to take on dilution. And you've probably seen we've been called the, the NASDAQ for revenue. All right. Thanks again, Harry. And with Pipe, there's no debt, no loans, and no dilution, which is really important to me as an investor. Pipe and Harry are so confident you're going to love trading your reoccurring revenues that if you sign up at pipe.com slash twist today, they'll eliminate all your trading fees for one full year. What a generous offer. This could save you tens of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of your business and the volume you trade. Sign up today at pipe.com slash twist. Happy piping, everybody. All right. Next story. Amazon is expanding its educational benefits to include a bachelor's degree program, according to the Wall Street Journal, Amazon is offering a new education benefit to its employees that have worked for at least 90 days. The educational benefit could be a way to retain more hourly workers as Amazon has hired 400,000 employees during the pandemic alone and is looking to hire more in the coming months, according to the Wall Street Journal. Article mentions that benefits include upfront payments for a bachelor's or associate degrees, high school uh, diploma programs, GEDs, English as a second language certificates. So the devil's in the details on these. So let's see if we can get into those workers must continue to work for Amazon part or full time while taking classes, but part time staffers receive 50% of the college costs, according to the Wall Street Journal. Is there a cap on that? Can they go to Harvard and pay $75,000 a year? There must be a cap. Uh, the Wall Street Journal notes that previously Amazon had covered quote, 95% of the cost of an associate degree or other certification program, and didn't offer four year college degree. So this is an expansion. Robert Kelchin, a professor and head of the Department of Education Leadership and Policy Studies at Knoxville tweeted about the potential eligible colleges for the program. It'll be very interesting to see which colleges become approved partners, the size of Amazon makes this something to watch. So uh, this is incredible. And I think this speaks to uh, the fact that uh, the free market works. And what do I mean by the free market works? Uh, a lot of people have been doing some hand wringing about gig workers, hourly workers. Well, when you have a free market, and it's booming, and it's thriving, what happens? Eventually, because America is building products and services that reach the rest of the globe, we need more workers and we are uh, not letting as many people into the country. So this is creating a labor shortage. Obviously, there's a labor shortage as well, because people got stimulus money. There's another issue. Uh, people got rich off NFTs. <laughs> I don't think that's actually a really big one. Um, I think some people have reconsidered their life choices. And one of those is maybe to live a more modest, low cost lifestyle, and maybe not need to make as much money, which then I think drives more people to the gig economy, because they want to 
kind of shape how often they work. I wonder if uh, people who are watching live, how many of them are rethinking their career choices and how much free time they spend, right? If, because of COVID. Um, and then people are retiring earlier. So because a lot of nurses, uh, teachers, et cetera, are just saying, you know what? Eh, I was going to retire in five years, the pandemic. I might as well just call it quits now and start enjoying my life. I have friends who died from COVID. Uh, I had to put my life on hold for a year and didn't go out of the house. I want to YOLO. So I'm just going to retire early. All of those things have led to an environment where I think there's upwards of 10 million available jobs. This has led to, as you know, Amazon put their base wage at 15, which was double the federal minimum wage. And then you have uh, all the ride sharing and delivery companies battling it out. And then you can't get retail workers. And then a lot of restaurants and cafes are shutting down now. A lot of them are shutting down. Uh, because not because they don't have customers, the customers are coming back, but they can't find employees. So uh, the free market is at work. And I think we're seeing what I think is a kind of great moment in time, where labor individuals uh, will be able to command more for their uh, work product or lower their burn rate and not need as much money. That's the ultimate way to have power in this dynamic with your employer. If you don't need to work, if you're a trust fund kid, and your parents gave you, you know, a $10 million trust fund, if you don't like what you do at work, you literally get up, tell the boss to go pound salt and make you a ham sandwich and you leave. But not everybody can do that. I certainly couldn't do it. I couldn't just leave. I had to think early in my career about where I would go. Well, as the gig economy has emerged, there are people who know if I quit this job, I can go drive for Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Postmates, get a job at Amazon, whatever, get a $500 bonus, a $1,000 bonus for taking the job. And um, I have a safety net. And if I've lowered my burn rate, well, if I'm living, you know, at a lower cost outside of a major city, and I'm not commuting anymore, uh, and the commuting was costing me 300 a month, and I was losing 60 hours a month, well, I can gain those 60 hours back. It's really interesting, I think what's happened. Um, and I think it's good for society. I think we're seeing a lot of people having more agency over their lives and their careers. That's what the free market has done. All of those additional jobs that were created uh, in the gig economy, I know that the unions don't like it, and I know that people don't get benefits. But all of the gig economy uh, companies got together and said, well, let's have a third way of doing this. You have full-time employment where we tell you what shift you work, and you have no choice, and you wear the logo target or whatever, and you have to have your hair cut a certain length, yada, yada. They control how you behave at work. You have no agency. You show up for your 6 a.m. shift. You work till 4 p.m. No choice. You take a half hour lunch when we tell you. Well, that's not what the gig economy provides. The gig economy is I turn on my app and I work. And if I work on Friday and Saturdays and make more money and that's my hack and then I take my weekend on Monday and Tuesday and I make 50% more on the weekend so I can take three days off and spend more time with my kids. That's the type of thing we want everybody thinking about. We want everybody looking at their lives as if they're the CEO of their own life. Then you have agency. What the unions are doing is they want to collect dues, they want to gain power, and they want to force employees who have agency to then listen to them and be part of their tribe. And that kind of sucks, I'll be totally honest. Um, I, I'm not saying employees shouldn't have power, but I think the true power uh, comes from them being able to make their choices in life and to move from one uh, employer to the other. So once you become a shift worker, you lose all your power, right? I mean, we can all agree on that when you're a shift worker, and you're dependent on one person for your revenue, you have lost all your power and all of your agency. And 70 80% of the drivers 
at Postmates and DoorDash and Instagram. Yeah, everybody wants to make more money, but none of them want to work shift work. So I, I really think these like unions are pushing for something that makes people into children who don't have agency over their lives. And I think the gig economy and this vibrant competition where Amazon is paying for people's school, the, the driver companies are giving huge bonuses. I think that's creating a really vibrant market and we should bet on that. We should bet on that, not shift work. Shift work is for suckers. That's my belief. Uh, I believe that is the raw deal because once they get you into that shift work and you got that manager grinding you down, uh, and telling you when you have to work and then you can't see your kids and you don't get to set your schedule, take two weeks off. You know, it's just, it's bad. Uh, that's my personal feeling. I wonder how you feel in the comments. Yeah. Health insurance is a, a, a really interesting part of this. And this is why I think all of uh, the country now, the right and the left need to get together on that one issue. Let's give a basic health safety net to everybody and take healthcare out of the realm of employment. That is a dysfunctional part of our society. M make healthcare just like public education. If your bank charges outrageous fees, you need a bank account that's built for small business. And that bank account is Novo's free business banking. Novo, N-O-V-O, is built from the ground up to be powerfully simple and free. Money Magazine called it the best business checking account of 2021. And with Novo, there are no minimum balances, no transaction limits, and no hidden fees. So sign up for free in under 10 minutes at banknovo.com slash twist. And then they're going to mail you a Novo debit card and get you free ATM use. That's right. You'll be able to use the ATMs for free. And Novo makes banking easy and secure. You can manage your account in Novo's customizable apps with built-in accounting and invoicing. Plus, you can tag each transaction and upload your receipts and keep everything nice and tidy so that when you go into due diligence as a startup or you have a board meeting, everything's tight and tight is right when it comes to your books. Don't screw up your future funding rounds by not having good books. Novo integrates with most leading business tools and services like Stripe, Shopify, QuickBooks, and more, and they do that all for free. Plus, Novo offers over $5,000 in perks and discounts just for signing up. So get your free business banking account in just 10 minutes at banknovo.com slash twist. Go to banknovo.com slash twist to sign up for free right now and get a free copy of Novo's Small Business Starter Guide. Once again, banknovo.com slash twist. Okay, Evergrande is uh, China's second largest REIT. Uh, that stands for real, uh, real estate investment trust, I believe, by revenue, and it's highly levered, and its stock is falling. Uh, so here's a little background. This is a quote from Asia Markets. China Evergrande cranes dominate the skylines of many Chinese cities. The company develops and manages real estate across China, primarily focusing on residential apartment complexes. According to the company website, Evergrande Real Estate owns more than 1,300 projects, in over 280 cities. Wow, think of the scale of that. And so Reuters reports property developer China Evergrande Group plans to suspend interest payments due to loans to two banks on September 21st, financial intelligence provider REDD reported on Wednesday, citing four sources briefed by bankers. Stopping payments. Hmm. Uh, Bloomberg reports shares briefly fell below their 2009 initial public offering price after a second credit rating downgrade in as many days boosted concern, the developer will default on its debt. These most recent credit rating downgrades came from Fitch 
Ratings, one of the big three credit rating agencies, S&P Global Ratings and Moody's have also made similar downgrade. Fitch's current rating for Evergrade is CC, default imminent. Oh, wow, that is an ugly looking chart. Zoom in on that chart. Oh, my Lord, that is gross. Ugh, you do not want to be in that stock. Ouch. Uh, you know, debt is really dangerous for equity holders. Just to stop for a minute and just explain debt versus equity. You buy a share in a company. So let's say the company has, a, you know, for the argument's sake, had a thousand shares and you had 10 and you own 1% of the company. Great. You own 1% of the company. Company's, you know, making a million dollars a year. You own 1% of it. You're getting a $10,000 dividend. All is great. Now the company's like, wow, we're doing so great. We make a million dollars a year. Let's take out a $10 million loan to build a factory to do whatever. And then it doesn't work out. And then their interest payments are going up. They have to pay back the principal. You have all done this maybe on a mortgage or a car payment. And they can't keep up with those payments. Well, then that company gets taken over by the creditors who gave them loans. You know who comes after the creditors? The equity holders. The equity can get wiped out. That means it goes to zero. Super dangerous. This is why I tell startups, do not take venture debt. Do not do debt instruments early in your life. If you have like a million dollar credit line because you have $10 million in revenue and you're profitable and you've got 20 million in the bank, yeah, that's different. But I sometimes see companies that are raising 1.5 million try to put 500,000 in venture debt on it, or some kind of debt device. And I'm like, well, why don't we just make it work with $1.5 million, like build a business plan that works with a million to a million five, as opposed to trying to put this 500,000 on top of it, because then the next investor comes. And the next investor looks at all that debt and says, I'm not buying that. And that's what we're seeing here, who would buy this stock now, who's going to buy the stock, if it has all this all these problems with debt, you're going to stay away from it because you have other opportunities to invest. So uh, if you look here at the Moody's ratings, uh, you know, you have AAA prime, and then it has high grade, and then upper medium grade, and then you get into that junk, uh, which I looks like it's BA1, BA2. I I'm not familiar with all of this. Uh, but when you get to the C's, it does not look good. It's beyond highly speculative. Now here is the rub, you will find people tweeting about these two topics together. If you remember, we talked about tether on this uh, podcast many times and how tether was no longer backed by dollars, they said they would back it one to one, it's a stable coin, you buy this cryptocurrency USDT, and it's backed by $1 in a bank account. And then they said, Oh, yeah, you know what, that's not true anymore. Um, like I think they had 3% cash equivalents or something. And then they had this idea of commercial paper, what is commercial paper, it's loans to companies like Evergrande. Now, we don't know who tether uh, was investing in. But people started asking them savvy people, maybe people who had inside information, do they have any commercial paper in China? And the really, uh, I would say smarmy, just um, less than uh, reputable team over at tether might be a, a way of saying it that would be generous. Um, these folks are really weird people. Uh, <laughs> And they seem to have a problem just saying what's the truth. Uh, they, they seem to be truth challenged. Probably not a great idea to have a truth challenged group of people and honesty, transparency, they're transparency challenged. That's a great word. So you have the transparency challenge tether executives who won't tell you who the commercial paper is with. And other people do report who their commercial paper is with. And the commercial paper, people are speculating is outside of the US. And they're speculating it's in China. And in fact, 
if we zoom in on this tweet, maybe we can zoom in on that a little bit and uh, I can read that tweet. Um, and here it is from Bitfinex. I'll just read a series of tweets here. Um, and this is from September 6. Tether refuses to deny holding Evergrande paper when people said they could be holding commercial paper issued by exchanges, they denied it. They're also likely holding it through a shell account proxy because what they're doing is illegal in China. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Duck14001 uh, says, I'm absolutely convinced that Evergrade paper makes up a not insignificant portion of Tether's backing. We should find out soonish. Last beer standing, Evergrade update, this time with Tether. Boy, oh boy, have things gotten interesting. Caveat up front, this is a theory. That has begun circulating in bits and pieces below. I've tried to summarize the argument evidence, but it's definitely worth reading. So there's a series that was from July 22nd. So there's a series of people speculating this again, pure speculation, right? I'm not saying that this is accurate. I'm saying this is speculation. Now, when you see anonymous accounts speculating on Twitter, it could be FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt designed to drive a stock price down. We saw that with the Tesla Q people. They were like, remember, they were taking like pictures of model threes like in, with dust on them in parking lots and uh but then you would see model threes and model y's everywhere on the road and they're like oh my god they're tesla is like putting teslas in you know uh garages because they can't sell them and then everybody you know who ordered a tesla was complaining that their tesla was back ordered and they had to wait three months and you're trying to figure out the fud where teslas are all over and you see them driving with your own eyes and you see this picture of 18 teslas in a garage and you're like Hmm. I wonder what's going on here. Well, there are people from anonymous accounts spreading fear, uncertainty and doubt. And sometimes people use anonymous accounts, because maybe they're insiders, or maybe they have an axe to grind because they're a previous insider, or they got screwed by the company, or they're just one of those unique people who pursues fraud uh, for the justification of doing it, or they've taken a short position against it. Anyway, we don't know here who Bitfinex is. Uh, we had Bitfinex on the program, obviously, it was the first and only time we've had a uh, anonymous person, but I thought it was worthy since they had become such a interesting uh, account that was being talked about. So sometimes we'll talk about things here that have to do with anonymous accounts or fear, uncertainty and doubt and these kind of things speculation. But you notice how I always tell you that right up front, and I'm very clear. That's because when I was a journalist, we were clear about these things. We tried to inform you as much as possible. I'm not trying to manipulate you, the audience. I'm trying to figure things out together, to be candid, and try to explain things to you um, as best as I understand them so that you can then help me understand them better. You saw me do that on yesterday's show when I was talking about these folks loaning out their cryptocurrency. And we learned a lot. Institutional owners buying cryptocurrency, okay, and they have their Bitcoin is collateral. So if the Bitcoin goes from 50 to 25, they get liquidated that pays down their debt, yada, yada, and they KYC, they know their customer. Interesting. So this will be something very interesting to watch. Tether is maybe the they're under investigation for wire fraud from previous banking shenanigans uh, that they kind of admitted to like using bank accounts that were not meant for money transfer using for money transfer. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, what a great show. Thanks for all the comments. Uh, now it's time for me to answer your questions. And I asked everybody today to really think about me as a friend. Uh, I think that's my superpower in life. That's what my friends tell me uh, is that I'm like the best friend to them. And that makes me feel great. I always try to be as a as a general rule, the best friend I can be to my friends. I just think about them. And I think like, what are they struggling with? Sometimes I'll call a friend. And I'll just say, Hey, haven't talked to you in a while. I'm just calling to check in on you. How are you doing? I say, I'm great. And I say, how are you really doing? 
What's going on? Tell me about how your kids are. Tell me about how it's going with your wife or spouse. How's business, you know? And so let's do that here on the podcast. You're my friends. You listen to the podcast. We've been together doing this for over 10 years with many of the people in the audience. Uh, and uh, we're doing this live and I love interacting with you. It's uh, giving me a lot of energy. So I'm going to take some questions here and I want you to just tell me candidly, you can use your initials or say make this anonymous. So when I talk, if this makes it to the podcast, not just the live stream, we can uh, take your name out. Okay, so uh, we have Richard from YouTube. If you don't necessarily need the funding to continue building iterating on your MVP and can bootstrap from your own funds is joining an accelerator worth giving up that six to 7%. Absolutely interesting uh, question. So you really do want to bootstrap for as long as possible, because you're learning uh, all that time without starting the clock of venture capital and jet fuel. What do I mean by that? Well, venture investors, angel investors, they want to get a return on their capital. And once you start down that path, you have to because you've decided to have a partnership with investors and you took their money and you issued them shares in your company. You've now changed the dynamic. What you're working on as a project, you have to think about that partner and how you and your behavior is impacting them. In other words, you have to be a fiduciary for all the stakeholders and shareholders in your company. Stakeholders means people who don't necessarily own shares, your employees, maybe in some cases, your partners, the community that you build the product for, you get the idea. Uh, just people you impact in general, your supply chain would come to mind. Uh, but for shareholders, you really do have a, a serious fiduciary uh, responsibility. So if you want to change the product, if you want to fire your customers, if you want to make your product, which is you know, you're charging a $1,000 a month to 10 people, and you want to make it for free, and you want to put off making money for a year. You know, if you have investors, you're gonna have to explain that to them, you're gonna have to send them an up monthly update or a quarterly update, you're just on this fast track. So yes, if you can keep doing your MVP and learning and making progress, if you can do that indefinitely and own 100% of your company, never take money from investors. And that has happened in the world uh, a handful of times. And I've seen what we call a Pegasus internally at our firm, launch, uh, which is launch.co, our website, um, we probably should update that at some point. I'm thinking about just making it a notion page. So we just put copy up there in text. Uh, launch um, looks for Pegasus, which is companies that can skip a round of financing or two. Um, every time you do a financing, it's between 10 and 25% dilution, let's just put that number at 15. You do that five times, you get an idea of what happens to your holdings, they go down significantly. So we saw with com.com, they raised money in the first round when we put in 378,000, I believe. Sometimes you don't forget those numbers when it's a big win. Put in 378,000 when it was a $5 million company or so. Then they let some friends in to invest at 20. And then the next round of funding was at 250. The next round after that was 1.2 billion. And then I think after that, it was, you know, multiple billions. So when you look at that trajectory, they skipped multiple rounds of financing, which means the founders own a lot more of the company. And my original six or seven percent, my six percent ownership or whatever it was, didn't get diluted all that much. So I still own four or five percent of that company. It's amazing. Uh, so you really do want to not do that. Now, in terms of going to an accelerator, accelerators are great. Um, if you go to the top three or four, launch accelerator, the one I run, uh, Y Combinator and Techstars. Why those top three? Because those top three signal to investors, downstream investors, seed funds, etc., venture worthiness. You've passed the screening of David Cohen, Jason Calacanis, or Paul Graham, essentially. My Paul Graham, I think, is not doing the screening now. I do the screening in a cursory way. My team meets all the companies and they say yes or no, or these are the ones we want to accept. I ask some probing questions 
and then we accept them. And then I come to a third of maybe the accelerator classes now. Um, and then uh, you have, um, you know, tech stars around the world. So is it worth it? It is worth it if you want to have that stamp in your passport and you want to meet, in our case, a thousand investors and you have that halo. A third time founder, you know, if you're Mark Pincus or Evan Williams or Travis Kalanick, like what value would it provide? None, right? You already can raise those rounds. So it's really for people who are getting started in the business. Not as very young, but people who are getting started in the business and maybe don't have all the connections. Okay, now that was a great question. Dusty asked me on uh, YouTube, how can someone deal with disappointment of not getting chances to pitch an idea? If you're a nobody, just keep pushing forward. You know, Dusty, um, I really like this question because I was a nobody and I felt like a nobody for a large portion of my career. And what I realized was the more I created in the world, the more I went from being a nobody to people following me. There are people with ideas and people who talk and then there are people who create. And once I created Silicon Alley Reporter, and it was just a 16 page photocopy, my phone, my lunch schedule filled up. I had made something in the world. And I got addicted to it. When people when I handed them a 16 page photocopy, and they read it, and it was good. And it was interesting. And it was 1996. And they were reading about tech companies in New York, in this place called Silicon Alley. And there were two dozen tech companies there Razorfish and Voyager making CD ROMs and Prodigy. They were like, wow, this is exciting. And so wh who made this magazine? I, was, I did. How'd you make the newsletter? I was like, well, I went to a photocopy store. I wrote the stories. I shot pictures on my 35 millimeter and I did PageMaker to print it out uh, with Brian Alvey. <laughs> and they were like, wow, that's incredible. Um, you made this? They couldn't believe it. So don't worry about people pitching, pitching people your ideas. Worry about your skills and what you create. Because there's so many people in the world and they're all so busy that what we're all looking at is we're looking at the landscape and we're saying, who's made something interesting, right? And so I listened to this podcast called Red Scare. It's two women in New York. Uh, they are part of what's called the dirtbag left. Um, and I like it because they're super candid. They're somewhat intellectual. They're a little edgy. They're inappropriate. It's like a little Howard Sterny kind of, but intellectual um, and it reminds me of New York and the people I used to hang out with when I was younger and living in New York. And <laughs> I noticed that the, you know, having listened to them for like two years or so, uh, and I, I catch probably every other episode and I, and I was subscribed to them on Patreon for a while because I wanted to support them. They, I just watched their careers because I also follow them on social media and the woman Dasha, who's one of the two, um, I've watched her getting acting jobs and making her own films and documentaries. And it's like, she made a podcast, which has no production quality. I mean, it is like, they're, they're fumbling with the recorder. The sound is terrible, but they're funny. And they're interesting. And they read books and they read articles and they have a hot take on things. And it's, you know, they're entertaining. Just by doing 100 episodes of their podcast, I've watched Dasha's career. And I, I think you'll see her on Secession this year, or one of those It was either Secession or Billions. One of those two shows she's going to be on. I don't think, you know, it's a session, I think, because Billion started already. And, oh, and by the way, now they're making $46,000 a month. So they're, they're making 20 grand each uh, <laughs> doing a podcast. And you're either creating or you're waiting. You're creating or you're waiting. And what I like about the Red Scare story is not only are they making all this money from their podcast, which is, you know, all it took was a recorder and two people with an opinion. They're now, all their other parts of their careers are also booming. Uh, what if my ideas are too big to make on my own? 
Then do I work on how polished the pitch or the visuals for the concepts are dusty green again on YouTube follow up question. So Dusty, I think what you want to do is iterate. I wanted to start a cable channel and be a, a media mogul in my earlier years. But I started a 16 page photo copy because that was the best I could afford. So I think what you have to do is maybe look yourself in the mirror and say, what's something I can do today at a very high quality level that proves to the world I'm capable of doing something. And that is a stepping stone towards the bigger picture. In the in the example with Red Scare, maybe Dasha wanted to make a movie but didn't have the money. Well, then she starts making 20k a month from doing this podcast and has an audience who will now buy the first 10,000 tickets to her independent film, right? And because people listen to the podcast and they know she can promote it, well, then maybe the other co-host can get a book deal. You get the idea. So what you're doing in life is you're iterating um, and you're proving to the world that you're a creator, not a, a waiter. And I don't mean a waiter serving drinks or food. I mean a waiter, somebody sitting around waiting. So you right now uh, feel like a waiter, Dusty, and you feel like candidly you're making excuses. I'm giving you permission to forget about the giant big picture for a minute. You can still keep it up there. It's not going anywhere. Put it on your wall. I'm going to own some giant uh, media company just like I wanted to. Okay, but what can you do today? What's your 16-page photocopy newsletter? What's your Red Scare podcast with, you know, $100 in donations on Patreon that grows to 46000 right? That's what I would challenge you to think about. Oh, here we go. This is a great personal problem from Ruffle Duck. My problem is laziness. How do I get myself to work on my projects like my life depends on it? Well, I wonder if Ruffle Duck has like a trust fund or something and, and you know, does it need to fight to uh, survive in the world? That is a that is a uh, great question. If you're lazy, it's probably there might be a root cause to it, like in your childhood or something, there could be like a psychological reason of why you're lazy. Or it could just be habit. And I think if you were to talk to a therapist or a coach, uh, they might take different approaches towards this, a therapist might be like, Oh, tell me about your childhood, what about it is the reason. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you're uh, talking to a behavioral psychologist or somebody who does cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, uh, I was a psychology major, so I know about a lot of this stuff. Uh, and I've thought about it a lot working with entrepreneurs, uh, you might just have bad habits, right? And so redoing your habits, just to set some goals for yourself every day, I'm going to do x, y and z, and really get yourself into a routine where you just do a little bit of performance each day, and find some meaningfulness in what you do. Those are two different approaches. I if I was you, I would maybe look at both of those. Maybe you have some fear from your childhood, or maybe people told you you weren't good enough, which is what people told me. Now, if people tell you you're not good enough, that can go one of two ways, you could actually believe it, or you can use it as fire to say I will prove you wrong. Right? Like, they say, Jake, Al, you're never going to be anything. You're just a kid from Brooklyn, you got a 71 three year average at Severian High School, you're going to become a cop. And, uh, you know, and I said, Well, no, I'm gonna go to Fordham. And I'll just go at night, it will take me five years. And, you know, I'll try to make it work by being a waiter and fixing laser printers. Um, I took that lack of belief people had and I said, you know what, instead of internalizing it, and saying, mm, I'm not, you know, good enough or whatever, or they're right. I said, I'll prove them wrong. So I think that's where therapy and talking to somebody who's a therapist in a professional setting, and saying, Listen, I have I'm lazy. Why am I lazy? And then the other approach is to talk to a coach about it and find a coaching service. And I think if you are motivated to do either or both of those, you might have a breakthrough. And then a very simple thing I think is habits. And um, 
you know, ev everybody has laziness in, laziness in different places. You know, I was lazy about my health habits. And, you know, now that I've got the wealth checked off and I've got happiness checked off, I'm really trying to hold myself accountable on the weight front. I'm down from 213 down. I was today, I was 192. So I'm 21 pounds off the peak and uh, you, I'm going to be in the 180 soon. So I, <laughs> I feel sometimes I'm lazy. I got this really cool app. I know this is silly and, you know, um, but it's been helpful for me. So maybe it'd be helpful for you. It's called Streets. My friend Mark Suster, who lost a lot of weight, put me onto it. And I've been talking to the founder of the company. Um, he's in Australia. And uh, it's a nice lifestyle business. I don't know if this could become a bigger business. Um, but you set goals for yourself. So I have in my goals, like standing a certain number of hours, drinking water, doing pushups, climbing stairs, burning calories, eating a salad, which I haven't done eating the smoothie, um, which I've been drinking Munich, uh, my friend uh, Freeberg smoothie, uh, working out flossing my teeth, taking my vitamins, actually recording my weight, which is something I wasn't doing, uh, doing weight training. And I'm just trying to like set modest goals for myself. And what streak does is it will lower the goals if you're not hitting them. So it's like, Oh, you're not hitting six glasses of water a day. Should we set it to five for next week and see if you hit that? So it's kind of really smart. Ah, here we go. Question from the demo night 789. This is I like these I like the ones that are like really personal and about your fears and uh, about, you know, the stuff that maybe is less tactical in business. I mean, I do love tactical business questions, because I'm a tactician, but I do like these ones that are more emotional in nature. How influential is social class in breaking into the corporate world consulting finance? Coming from lower working class background, put one at a disadvantage. Uh, certainly, it does put you at a disadvantage, I think. Um, I didn't know anybody at Stanford. I didn't know anybody at MIT. And uh, I felt like I wasn't worthy or, you know, maybe I didn't, maybe that's the wrong way to say it, not as worthy. But I just I did have to go build those connections. And, you know, the, what was interesting is I found that people, some group of people thought of me in my 20s when I was in New York making Silicon Alley Reporter, which was my first magazine. Some people kind of resented me that I was a nobody and I became powerful with the magazine. Um, and then once I realized that, that those powerful people were resenting me, I leaned into it, leaned into it. So I would host events for 100 people and I would specifically cap it at 100. And I'd specifically leave people out and I would invite other people to come. And then some famous person be like, Oh, yeah, I'll definitely come to your 100 person dinner, I'm going to bring this person. And I'm like, Yeah, I'm sorry, there's no plus ones. And I would say that to somebody who's worth $100 million. And they'd be like, Oh, okay, well, can I bring someone like, I'm really sorry, maybe next time I'd love to meet them. But for now, the only the 100 people coming to my dinner are people I know. Um, and I've got 50 people on the waiting list already. But certainly next time, and I'd love to meet them, you should introduce me to them by email, I'll have a cup of coffee with them. So I kind of was like, once I realized, that people look down on me a little bit or maybe dismissed me. I was like, Oh, well, how can I change that? I know I'll do the Silicon Alley 100. Uh, and Silicon Alley was the name for New York's tech scene in the 90s. So I ranked I made a ranked list as a nobody of the 100 most important people in business and technology in New York, when I was 27 years old, that I was, you know, taking people my age now 50 year olds, and I was saying 17, they're 17th most important. I mean, I was deranged. Um, so I'm not exactly telling you to do this, but I realized early on, I owned a magazine and I picked who was on the cover, man, that would be powerful. And I could lord that over people. And then people would respect me. So I took like a little bit of a maniacal approach to, to getting power. Um, because I didn't have it. And I think it was a little dysfunctional. I think I because I didn't have power, because I didn't have status, I was like, I'm going to create and manufacture my own, I will show everybody. So back to the motivation question we started with, 
it was just a driver for me. You know, I see it clearly now at the time, I just thought I was fighting for my life to survive and be important in the world. And I think you should think about it that way as well. If and it's less so today, people don't care about your diploma as much as your skills. Uh, and especially in this work from home post COVID world, you know, um, it used to be like, well, you know, who went to journalism school, okay, they're going to be a broadcaster. And then you look at something like YouTube and podcasting, well, who gets to be a broadcaster, the person who broadcasts every day, uh, like my friend CP who's doing Knicks fan TV, like, he didn't, I, to the best of my knowledge, CP can tell me I, I don't think CP the franchise went to like get a master's degree in communications and then was an intern at, you know, uh, ESPN or something. I don't think that's how he, he, he built his channel. And I don't think that's how Red Scare built their channel or whoever else is killing it. Joe Rogan, you know, podcasting. It's not like somebody NBC said, Oh, we're going to put the Joe Rogan show on at 11 PM, right? He didn't ask any gatekeeper to do it. You just do it, right? And it's about skill and showing up every day, really. And I hate to be like a motivational speaker here. But, you know, just from what I've learned in life, if you just do the work every day, that's why I put that sign behind me, do the work. That's like a reminder to all of you. But <laughs> more than anything, it's a reminder to me. That's why I show up here every day. People, I literally had a friend of mine, they're like, Jay Cal, you can do the podcast once a week, you don't have to do it five days a week, you don't have to keep pushing yourself so hard. And I'm like, yeah, it's just not who I am. I just want to keep doing it every day. I like doing work every day. Sorry. <laughs> I like the result of it too. I like the result that the audience is growing and I get to hang out with you guys and get all these great questions. All right, I think we did enough questions. What is your standing amongst the besties? Uh, I am the least uh, I have the lowest net worth of all the besties. Uh, I might have the lowest IQ of all four besties. Um, but I am uh in a bar fight the one you would want to have with you in a zombie apocalypse i would be in charge and i would be the one who would survive the longest uh, and i would be the best friend who would jump in front of a punch for the other besties so you know everybody's got their role in life i think i'm the loyal one who is uh will fight for their friends and uh i'm definitely the funniest out of the four of us that's for sure for sure the funniest all right talk to you soon everybody bye bye